Hey everyone, welcome back to Reality 2.0. I'm Katherine Druckmann. Today, Doc Searles and I are talking to Augustine Fu, who you may remember from an earlier episode. Um, if you didn't hear that one, I, I would recommend going back and checking it out. Augustine is a well-known ad fraud researcher. He has also written a really cool web app for uh, visualizing tracking data. And he's come on today to tell us a little bit more about it. And I'm really looking forward to this one. I think he and Doc are going to unpack this problem of, of ad tracking uh, in a way that's pretty exciting. So before we get started, there's something I wanted to quickly mention. We'd like to start sending out a newsletter to complement the podcast and give everyone a little more information. So I hope you'll sign up by visiting us at reality2cast.com and hit the newsletter link to sign up. Uh, thanks. With that, I will hand it over to y'all and, and let's, let's look at this tool. It's, it's pagexray.fooanalytics.com and I'll put a link uh, in the description of the podcast. So please go check it out. Type in any URL to any website you want it to um, process. Yeah. And it's going to give you a really cool visual depiction of all of the trackers that are loaded on that site. So I guess to give us the correct spelling of Foo Analytics. So uh, it's uh, F-O-U and then analytics.com. Yeah, because Foo F-O-O has a, mm. that's a geek <laughs> yeah. meaning that that's right. it's, it's a homonym we don't want. Touche. Um, <laughs> So, so pagexray.fouanalytics with an s.com. So, so let me just give a little little bit of background here. Um, uh, I, you know, I, as a journalist, especially a Linux journal, uh, you know, long-time readers know that I've been inveighing against being tracked online for a long time. And, and it, it was through that work and just, you know, because I think we basically started tweeting at each other a lot, like little amens for what the other one was doing. Yep. Um, and then we got to know each other. We we're both in New York at the time. Um, I'll be back in New York, I hope. But uh, uh, you live in New York, right? Still? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, so, so it, explain this tool. Let me give just a little bit more background. So the, the, the markup, great magazine, great publication, came up with something called uh, Blacklight that that does some of what Augustine's doing here, but, but basically in a summary form saying this site, this site tracks you in these ways. That one doesn't, that one doesn't as much, that one does more. But it, to me, it's still all adjusted around a norm that you're being tracked all the time. What I love about what Augustine has is a way to visualize what's happening behind the scenes when you go to a website, which the way website, the way the web is originally designed is you're asking for a file. And you're going to look at the file and there's the file is a document. You're looking at a, a web page, and now you're getting this, this payload of you're getting injected with a zillion trackers. So, so, so Augusta, t tell me, tell us, you know, how, how, how you visualize what goes on here or summarize it too. Okay, great. Yeah. I'm also a big fan of the, the markup. I think it's uh, blacklight or backlight. It's um, blacklight. I blacklight. think it's got okay. an L in it. Uh, so it highlights kind of the, the problem of the trackers on the page, but it does it in kind of a summary format. And I actually think the main difference is that their audience is more the consumer that wants to get a sense of how privacy invading a particular site is. So they kind of give summaries and they compare it to the averages. Like this site has more trackers than average, right? And this other site is less. 
In my case, the tool was developed primarily for me to use and also for privacy researchers because they actually need to see the trackers and the tags that are not only loaded on the page, but also called in by other ads and trackers. So for that to happen, um, you know, we have to actually use a browser to load the page. For example, a lot of this privacy research in the past has been done by people literally looking at view source, right? So they would just try to look at the trackers that are uh, put on the page itself. But then you're only seeing the first layer, meaning the trackers um, that the publisher voluntarily put on the page. But because of JavaScript, uh, when the JavaScript executes, for example, to load an ad or to load a tracker, the JavaScript can then call in a dozen other trackers and those are not on the page and therefore you cannot see them when you just do a view source on the HTML of the page. So what we did is we built a crawler, right? It's pretty standard that anyone else can do. It's a headless Chrome. So it's a full Chrome browser. And the reason we call it headless is that it just doesn't have a screen because it doesn't have to show anything to a human looking at it. It's just run on the server. So when the Chrome browser loads the page, it allows all the JavaScript to execute. And when those JavaScript executes, we can actually see other ads and trackers and other crap being loaded in on the page. And what we do is we literally record every network call uh, and we kind of uh, thread it together into what we call a tree graph. So essentially what it's showing to you is what calls what. Right? So we start with the page that the person visited and then we'll see, okay, here's a dozen things, here's 50 things, or maybe even 100 things that the publisher loaded on the page itself. But from there, we see almost like the entire rest of that tree graph get populated when those ads and trackers call in lots and lots of things. So as an example, if you're, if you're curious, you can go to pagexray.fooanalytics.com and just type in something like wired.com or smithsonianmag.com. Just check any website or web page that you want. And some of these tree graphs will be so large that you'd be shocked. I, I'm, I'm looking at Wired right now. And, yeah. and, and again, for listeners, I'd really highly advise plugging this thing in at pagexray.fooanalytics.com. Page so I, I, I look at this and think, okay, so I'll go to Wired. I want to look at a specific article. And an interesting thing is I've tried your tool with the name of an article, you know, with a full yeah. URL. It still does the same thing, right? It's just getting yes. the same as if you just did Wired.com. And it's kind of like, okay, you're looking for the story. But what I'm getting here is Condé Nast Digital, Ad Nexus, you know, lots of yeah. ad servers, lots of lots of stuff from Adobe. But it's kind of like you have these uninvited files, but then you've got all their friends. So yeah. like here's one called Contextual Media, and it's got ad.turn, bsw.digitu, something with double click, but there are other ones, other double clicks and gum and Critio, and then some of them double up. I mean, like one might be called, more than one may be calling the same Yep. friend in as it were and then they call their friends in yep. and they call their friends in so it may go down four or five levels you know so i mean i'm looking at one here it goes from uh let's see cookie law to um tag bounce exchange to another assets bounce exchange the api yep. bounce exchange and then finally the assets bounce exchange and i have no idea what that is right or exactly right right yeah. do most consumers know right most consumers don't know nobody they, knows. they were looking at one you, you know you right. know that everybody yeah, how many other people know yeah we study this right so 
Um, but the key here is to allow the privacy researcher, right? A consumer might be just overwhelmed with this, but the point here is that just like what happened in 2016 with Cambridge Analytica, um, it, we call it a scandal because most consumers didn't know Facebook was either selling their data or allowing third parties like Cambridge Analytica to come in and harvest their data, right? So most consumers similarly here, they think they're interacting with one web page on one publisher site like wired.com. They don't actually know all this other stuff that's happening behind the scenes. And that's where the privacy violations are gonna actually happen, right? And so when we take into consideration uh, GDPR and some of these privacy regulations that are just starting to be enforced, the question is, you know, has the consumer given consent to all these ad tech companies that they've never heard of before, right? Like you said, GumGum or Crux Digital or LiveRamp or any of these, right? So um, it becomes very problematic. And, you know, that's why the privacy researchers are using this tool to just see, you know, what gets called into the page. So, so I'm looking at, so if I look here at, at kookielaw.org, and then there, and that fans out to like, maybe more than a dozen others. Some of the lines on your tree graph um, um, go, you know, and, and, and which actually fans out kind of like a river delta. Yeah. You know, kind of like the, the Mississippi Delta or the Nile Delta kind of spreads out as it reaches, as it approaches the sea. Um, and, but some of them are, are gray, some are orange or yep. brown, I'm not sure. And then but, some are red. And so it's, yeah, let me do a quick uh, yeah. synopsis of what those things are. So on the first, uh, basically first glance, you'll see all of these tree branches branching out. Um, the ones that are colored orange, the lines that are color orange means a third party cookie was set. So we call it a third party cookie is because it's some other domain other than the site that you were on. So in this case, the person was on wired.com but some other domain uh, like gumgum.com or something, or, um, you know, critio.com is setting a cookie. That's why we call it a third party cookie. So when a third party cookie is set, it's colored orange. Uh, when it's gray, that means there's no cookie set. And that's actually what we want. So we've actually been doing a study of European sites to see if the enforcement of GDPR has caused more of these publishers to reduce the number of trackers and actually stop using third-party cookies. And mm. unfortunately, the preliminary evidence is that it hasn't had much of an effect so far. Yeah, I, I guess <laughs> I get so, that, yeah. Um, so then there's a couple of other things. In the little white circle, uh, you'll see a number, which is right. the number of times that particular tag got loaded. Now, we highlight in yellow, so I don't see any ones in yellow here, but if there's 10 or more of that same thing loaded, then we highlight that as yellow. Mm. And then you'll also see color coding where ad server requests are colored blue. So these are typically the domains where ads are served from. And then the trackers, so these are other domains uh, that are used for tracking purposes. And this, this includes analytics. So something like Google Analytics will be color coded as orange. And then there's also gray, uh, which are things that we can't even tell what they are, right? So uh, it's not mm. categorized as either. And then two more quick things. One is the mm -hmm. little flag that you see next to each domain. Right, This yeah. becomes important for the privacy researchers because if the user or the site is in Germany, for example, uh, we want to actually see if any of these trackers um, are being called from, say, the U.S., 
uh, or right. any of their data being sent back to the servers that sent the tracker. Because in that case, the data got shipped across country borders, right? And so that has implications for compliance with uh, privacy regulations. So in most cases, like because we're here in the U.S., we'll see most of the trackers and ads are also being served from servers here in the U.S., but it becomes less clear um, if you're actually loading this tool from EU or if you're loading a page from the EU. How can you tell it from the U.S.? Is it uh, just an IP? It's the IP address of the yeah. server that sent the tag. So okay. then, then we look up the exact IP address so we know which data center it came from, okay. and then we can flag it. Yeah. I, I see one flag here I don't recognize, and I see one Canadian flag. Yeah. Uh, well, I see Hotjar ends up in Ireland. It's the Irish flag, isn't it? Interesting. Okay, so they're probably safe haven there or something, right? So just like criminal organizations register um, their companies in Trinidad and Tobago or something, that, you know, this might be something like that going on. But you see those little you fingerprint see? icons next yes. to that? Yeah. Uh, Hot yes. Hotjar has been called out by the, there's a Freedom to Tinker group uh, or blog at Princeton University where a number of privacy researchers, I think in 2017, um, did a study to show um, these types of fingerprinting services are exfiltrating uh, user data, which includes uh, login and passwords. And that's because the JavaScript from these services is actually logging the behavior of users as they use the site. On the one hand, it's actually useful because the, the website owner can use that to say, okay, well, how are they using the site? Are they getting stuck at any point? It's the good use of that is for them to improve the user experience. But the other dangerous um, thing with that is that this data is being shipped off to some other place, like in this case, the servers in Ireland or something, where um, potentially even login and passwords are uh, shipped off because all of those are faithfully recorded by these kind of analytics, right? When you're typing something, it records wow. it. When you move your mouse, it records it. Mm -hmm. All Hot of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's so, intense. I tried it out once and I was, my mind was blown. I felt, yeah. it felt a little dirty actually to watch. <laughs> yeah. It, it tracks the whole session and where you move your mouse and stuff like that. Ostensibly yeah. for user experience improvements. Yeah. Right, Funny story yeah. actually. Uh, we, we used it for about 10 minutes on linuxjournal.com and, and a few of us were sitting around my laptop looking at a screen recording, a session mm -hmm. recording and you could see, I mean, you could see every mouse move and then creepily it hovered around the photo of one of our female employees in a way mm -hmm. that we were all so uncomfortable with that we had to I shut see. the whole thing down and then we removed it from the site and it was terrible. Anyway, um, uh. I wondered if you could speak to the level of tree branching and the significance of that, because I think what's particularly interesting about your vis visualization is that it goes so many levels down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's really the importance of it because I just think that the publishers don't even know that this is happening, right? The site owners, um, you know, if you see that first level, so at the very left, uh, we start with the page itself. So it's wire.com in this case. And then the first level would be all the ones that they actually deliberately put on their site. So that's fine. They know that they did that. Right. And so things like Google Analytics, of course, there's a good reason for them to stick on the site. And there's also other things that are, you know, useful, like when they're showing ads and stuff like that, you'll see Google syndication or 
um, Amazon-AdSystem.com. So those are all legit, and you can understand, you know, the publishers using those to serve ads. But then, what you when you see all of these other things being called in by some of those domains, right? All these other tree branches, that's the part that the users don't know about, and sometimes the publisher themselves don't know about. So if all these things are being called into the page, these are loopholes. And that's why we see phenomena like malvertising, right? So malvertising is basically a, an ad that is laced with malicious code. So very often these big publishers, they don't know that it's happening because they don't know what ad is actually going to be served into that ad slot before it gets served into the ad slot, right? Because they're programmatic. So then when we see that, um, that's kind of like how the malvertising gets in. And so in this case, um, you can also surmise that privacy violations of their users are going to happen in some of these branches beyond the first level that the publisher knows about, right? So if some other ad tech company is violating your consumer's privacy, do the publishers even know about it? And are the publishers themselves liable for that, right? Do they have any liability under GDPR and CCPA? And this is because, you know, just taking the example from malvertising, the consumer went to wired.com and they got malware. Who do you think they're going to blame, right? They're not going to know that all these other companies behind the scenes is how the uh, malware laced ad got in into wired.com, right? They just said, oh, I went to wired.com and I got malware. So who do you think they're going to sue, right? Or who do you think a ambulance chasing lawyer is going to sue, right? It's going to be wired.com. So I, I raise that because, you know, the anything beyond that first level, um, you know, publishers got to really look into it and they got to have some more rules and maybe uh, terms in their agreements with the advertisers to say, well, you're not allowed to call in all these other things without telling us. Right. So I think there's a big question that still remains to be seen uh, how it plays out in terms of uh, when the privacy regulations get enforced, whether the publishers themselves are responsible or have legal liability when someone else violates the privacy of the users that came to their site. Wow. And then uh, legal issues aside, it's just not a good look, right? I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it doesn't I mean, instill any confidence in your readers or users or, or whatever. Yeah. And I kind of look at this and say, well, their priority is making money. Their priority is not necessarily serving the user with good content. Right. Whereas if I look at better sites like New York Times, uh, ESPN is, is usually a model citizen. And when I check Linux Journal, there was actually a very tiny number, right? Literally five uh, mm -hmm. that were loaded on the page. And then those things didn't call in anything else. So when you see that, then I say, okay, well, this is a good publisher. They're actually very conscientious about the privacy of their users and they take that seriously. So I would, you know, put a lot more faith and a lot more weight into those kind of publishers than ones that have these enormous trees. It's like they either don't know what the heck they're doing or their priority is not me, the reader. So another thing that I thought I'd, I would mention or, or ask you about is most um, privacy-related browser extensions and that sort of thing that detect trackers uh, will we'll pull up, I don't know, what, 40, 50 maybe in the worst case, and you go, yeah. oh my God, 40 trackers? But, you know, I really want to emphasize that everyone really needs to look at this app because, you know, yeah. it's 40 is the tip of the iceberg. That's really what they can see on the page. So literally when that page loads, the Chrome extension or whether, like, you know, whether it's a Adblock Plus or Privacy Badger or Ghostry, uh, they'll see that first level. 
and that's that's really the difference. We built this where we have a Chrome crawler go out and actually load the page, and we actually record all the network calls, and that's how we can get all the other levels beyond that. So what Ghostery reports to you, what uh, Disconnect reports to you, or Privacy Badger is really that first level, but they're not executing the JavaScript and causing all the other stuff that would have been loaded in that we can see in this page x-ray. So you, you, you gave on, um, on Twitter, I think, uh, or somewhere, Smithsonian Mag is an example. And yeah. I just brought that one up, which is pretty massive. It just, it, it fans out. I noticed there's fewer than I saw before with more than a thousand answer requests, I think. Yeah. We're tracking requests it's down to 640 at the moment. <clears throat> but um, I... I'm wondering if they made, I mean, who makes the decision to, to do this? I mean, and, and I mean, I mean, does somebody sit there and say, we want as many of these things as we can possibly can because, and I'm guessing we're just going to get more money from more of these yeah. intermediaries. And so that's the, more, the, that's more... the myth, right? <clears throat> that's the line that these ad tech companies have sold to the publishers, right? So you're absolutely right. Over the years, this kind of, this kind of stuff is just built up, right? Accumulated crap. Uh, so I would say the original reason is, oh, if you put our tracker, if you put this pixel on and all that kind of stuff, we'll help you find lookalike audiences, we'll help you get higher CPMs, you know, your audiences are more valuable, the more trackers you put on. So a lot of those big publishers kind of uh, got convinced that they would make more money this way. But what we've seen in literally the last 10 years, and most aggressively since 2013, is that instead of making more money, what's actually happened to these big publishers is that they've lost money, both on top line ad revenues, because now uh, marketers can say, oh, I can get cheaper ad impressions over here on the exchange. Why buy from you guys, the premium publishers, if I can buy some cheaper stuff over here? So the top line has been pressed down. And then the second thing is the bottom line, like their margins have also been uh, compressed. And that's because they're trying to compete against fake sites that are offering 30 cent CPMs or $3 CPMs, which is one-tenth of what these big publishers typically charge. So over the years, we've seen all these trackers uh, get voluntarily put onto the site by the publishers. And in this particular case for Smithsonian, the first level to the right of smithsonianmag.com would be the ones that they voluntarily put on the page. And that's a large number right there. Right. It's, yeah, it's uncountable. I, I right. think it's just it might large. be 100 or uh, More than 100, yeah. So yeah. some of the other sites are not this egregious, but I would just say, you know, the more desperate the publisher, the more likely they're going to get swindled by these ad tech companies. So like I said earlier, there might be some unknown liability they, they need to be cautious of. But again, as I've advised a lot of these, uh, these bigger publishers, uh, if you don't know what these trackers are going to be doing on your site and to your users, it's better to rip them out. And some of the bigger publishers have started actually doing a cleanup, right? A cleaning of the house. And so some of the ones where they clearly have not gotten any benefit from them. And in fact, their, their users data has now been shuttled off to somewhere else, right? Their, their users are now being monetized by other people. Uh, so when they realize that they're actually stripping out uh, more and more of these. And so they're, hopefully they'll have a much, much smaller uh, set of trackers. And when you have that first level be smaller, then the rest of the tree will definitely be smaller than what you see here. When, um, 
I know, and I think somebody in the, in the UK is trying to outlaw real-time bidding. Where, where would one, if one was to look for, okay, my data or data about me is going out in an auction somewhere, would you be able to look at this tool and say, okay, there's, one, there's an auction here, there's an auction there? Um, that kind yeah, of you visible? should be able to. There's certain domains like rtb.io or something. I, I don't think I see it here in this one, but there are going to be certain domains that correspond to header bidder code. And so in those cases, um, they send off some data. Now in those cases, that may not be the thing that's violating the consumer's privacy. It's gonna be the stuff that gets loaded after the bid, right? So at the time of the bid mm -hmm. request, they only send back kind of tidbits of information, what I call um, header, um, you know, headers, browser headers, right? They, they, because the JavaScript hasn't run yet, uh, the rest of the JavaScript hasn't run yet they don't have a lot of the other uh, information about the user. So at that moment, it's still very, very early in the page load sequence, right? And then after the page loads and then after the ads load, that's where some of the problem comes in because the ads themselves might spawn another, you know, 10 trackers or so. So that's where some of the user information gets collected by their JavaScript and then sent off to some other third party. So, you know, if you think about um, GDPR in particular, um, the, there's some specifics in there uh, that say the ad tech company has to gather explicit or what they call informed consent, right? So the user has to understand what the heck they're giving, right? Consent to, first of all. Uh, but then there's also some specificity, right? So they're giving consent to this company for doing these things like setting a cookie or uh, you know, collecting their data for the purpose of selling it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then for this specific period of time, right? And if you don't have that kind of specificity in the consent that you got from a user, it's gonna be not good enough at some point, right? Again, it comes down to when those regulations are being enforced. So we're only at the very, very early stages of those regulations being enforced. Do you have any plans to, or, or well, let me back up a little bit. Who, who do you expect to use this app? Is it uh, primarily for research or do you expect uh, a little bit more of a consumer audience or? Um, I don't think it's do? really gonna be a consumer audience um, ever because this is really meant to be this level of detail, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the, the first wave of users that are already using it right now are the privacy researchers and many of them happen to be in the EU. Um, but I do think that this is an element that goes into how we grade the sites. So like we said earlier, you know, sites like New York Times, ESPN, their tree graphs are tiny. And that's because they've been very careful um, and conscientious about protecting the, the privacy of their users. Whereas some of these other sites, top priority is make as much money as we possibly can, right? We'll put whoever, you know, on the site because they promised us more money, right? So then we can actually visually see the difference in quality. And I would say categorically, I would expect the bigger publishers to have, you know, less trackers in general than, and then some of these uh, longer tail sites. Uh, so, um, it will be built into something in the future. It's not necessarily consumer facing, but for marketers who actually want to buy ads on quality publishers, this is one ingredient that goes into the quality score, right? So, you know, part of it would be how many trackers do you load on your page voluntarily, right? And how many other trackers do you let be, you know, called in uh, by those? 
And then other things like the quality of the traffic, right? Is it majority humans that visit your site or, you know, what percentage of your traffic is bot traffic? And that also kind of gets to like, if a publisher is deliberately buying traffic or sourcing traffic, if, uh, you know, they call it that. Um, in those cases, it's like common sense will tell you there's just not a whole bunch of humans sitting around with nothing to do, but they go to your specific web page, you know, 10 million times and repeatedly load pages for you. But it's very, very easy for a botnet to do that, right? It's just one line of code, right. go hit this site 10 million times and the botnet will go do it. So, you know, it's just going to be yet another ingredient that goes into how we grade uh, each domain. And so for a marketer, again, when they're trying to do a more conscientious uh, media buying, they'll say, oh, well, I want to buy from high quality publishers that have real human audiences that respect the privacy of their users. And here's a score below which we're not going to buy. So it kind of gives you a preview of where we're headed with this. Okay. That's more to serve the marketers as well. That's cool. Well, you just answered my next question, which okay. was, <laughs> do you have future plans or what, what are they? Yeah, I think right now it's more just, this is a free tool. Um, you know, consumers can of course play with it, but I think it, they'll just be kind of overwhelmed to see this many levels. You know, again, I like the, the markups tool, which is more simplified and summarized in layman's terms. But again, that's a little more consumer facing. This is meant for more like privacy researchers and to collect the data so that we can kind of keep track of, um, you know, which are the domains that are serving ads and which are the domains that are serving trackers and things like that. Cause those also keep evolving, right? Sometimes the bad guys or unscrupulous ad tech companies, they'll just keep changing the domains on you. Right. Cause you know, we know that consumers use ad blockers and when those domains get added to the block list, um, they can't collect the data anymore. So then they change to a different domain. And so we got to keep an eye on that because, those domains are still collecting information about users and we want to make sure we help the privacy researchers protect the consumers as well. So a, a, a couple of things. Well, first, okay. So I've just uh, done a uh, use page X-ray to look at the New York times because they're, they're a good actor. Mm -hmm. Well, um, okay. So that fans out to the first level, just three places, but one of them is New York times and it's got a fingerprint next to it. Mm -hmm. First two is one, one is, iteratehq.com, the other is page ad to Google syndication something. Yep, so Google serving ads, yep. Yeah, and then the third is, is nytimes.com, and then that fans out to, I'm guessing, maybe about 20, maybe 25. Yes. Um, some of them are, you know, no, some are called NY Times. That makes complete sense to me. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd expect that. Um, but then there's contextual media, and that goes out to a whole bunch of stuff I hadn't heard of. Um, of a bunch of Googles, but then there's Samis.graphics. There's, you know, I, 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 as a, as a user, I, I don't want to see any of it, you know, so, um, or very little of it. I mean, I, I, I mean, there's no, you know, in communications, we, uh, there's this thing called signaling, you know, you, mm -hmm. you know, it, somebody holds up their hand and that means they're saying stop. Or if they, if they wave to you, they're, you know, come here, that means go. They have a thumb up. That means those are signals. When you signal to a website that I want to file, you're expecting to see New York times. You're not expecting yeah. to get all these guests, you know, and, and I mean, per, speaking personally, and I'm looking, I realize I'm looking way downstream because I've been on this, I've been an a-hole about all this for 20 years. So it's like, you know, I, I'm, yeah. I'm patient about it, but it, but it, but at some point 
the, the individual gets in the middle of this and says, yeah, I'm cool with, you know, I, I'm cool with Amazon. I'm cool with the New York Times. I'm cool with, with Google provider, or maybe not even Google, but, but whoever Google intermediates, you know, like we were talking earlier about, uh, I'm cool with Canon. I like Canon. Yeah. You know, I like uh, Chevy, say, or I like, um, you know, d- d- name any name any brand. Actually, yeah. I think very few people are going to say that <laughs> for the most yeah. part. But let's let's say people do. Well, know. at least they recognize the brand. Yeah, at right? least so they recognize. If, it, you, you, know? if you said Crux Digital, like who the heck is that? If you said Logan, yeah, exactly, who the heck is that? Right. All of these ad tech companies, they've never heard of because they're not in the bids, right? Right, right. I mean, and, and I mean, here's the bkrtx.com. And a lot of these, if I look them up, yeah, there's not even a domain there. You know, it's like, it, yeah. but if I look them up on, on a search engine, they'll say, oh yeah, that's an ad, that's an ad thing. Yeah. And it's a or product a of, yep. of this yep. company, whatever it is. So I think, you know, for the consumer, um, you know, there's been privacy tools that have been available to them for a long time, right? So I'm going to point out some good ones like Privacy Badger. And, and maybe even Ghostery. But if you think about Privacy Badger, um, when they load a page, it'll show you what trackers are loaded there. You can actually, you know, there's a little switch, right? It goes from red to yellow to green. Mm-hmm. You can manually say, oh, I like these guys. <laughs> you may not actually like them, but you'll say, okay, I'm okay with them tracking me, right? So maybe for Google Analytics, you'll set that. But I'll, I'll tell you, for most consumers, either they haven't installed Privacy Badger or they're not going to take the time to go change each of those little slider things, right, from yeah. red to yellow to green. And what does yellow actually mean? I don't even know what that means. I, I'm, I'm glad you said that because yeah. I don't know either. And I've been using it for years. Yeah, me too. Yeah, like right? when they so, came out with it, I've been using it. I yeah. switch out with others, you know, the Bay Cloud Bouncer and... Um, yeah, so... So in those cases, because it's just too much work for the consumer to decide which line items to permit or not, right? They'll simply either just block it all or not block it all, right? So they just, because of just the amount of work that's required. And I don't know if you saw, I put up a a short screen recording of a Condé Nast website where they were trying desperately to do the right thing by prompting the user for consent. But if you look at the consent window, um, it basically has literally a hundred different ad tech vendors. It's, it's unreal. I mean, who's right. going to do that? Yeah. You know, and then and you have to check. It's defaulted on. Like, I'm going to accept all these. Exactly. Terms. Right. Yeah. So, so most consumers are not going to do that. And at least they're not going to give informed consent. They're just going to say, oh, I'm trying to get to that page. So F it. I'm going to give consent to everything. Right. And, and that's not informed consent. That will not hold up under the law. So I think other things like um, Brave Browser, you know, there's been an uptick in consumers using that because in that case, they block everything, right? So for the consumer who doesn't want to spend the time to fine tune and explicitly allow certain things to go through, then, you know, especially these ad tech companies, then they're going to use ad blockers that actually work, right? Adblock Plus to me sold out, right? So yeah, users yeah. use them thinking that they were going to block the ads, but because Adblock Plus wanted a business model, they said, oh, well, whoever pays us, we'll just let your stuff through. Okay, yeah. so that means ads. So we'll, we'll, whitelist who, we'll whitelist the guys that pay us. Who pay us, right? right. So the pay, pay to play just doesn't cut it, right? Uh, they sold out and that's not good. I don't use them anymore. So for Brave, it blocks everything. Now, to me, there's, there's an additional scenario, which I think will make it easier for consumers, right? So if I go to New York Times or if I go to USA Today or Boston.com, 
and I like that publisher and I think they respect my privacy. There might be what I call a green option where they say, okay, well, this is a site that I respect. I'm okay with them monetizing via ads because I know that's how they make money. So if I green list a domain, then that browser will allow the ad serving domains to come through, but not the other ad trackers. Right? Mm-hmm. So we still protect the consumer from tracking by unknown third parties, but we allow the ads to come through so that publisher can actually monetize the way they normally monetize. So in that sense, it's based on the domain of the publisher and the consumer because they went to boston.com, they know they wanted to be there, right? And so in that case, um, we still allow the ads to run through, but we still protect the privacy by blocking all the other trackers that might be called. And, and, and I think, you know, a publisher like boston.com can, can have bragging rights, right? Say, hey, we have, you know, Forty yes. percent uh, of our of our of our user base uh, green lights us. Yes. You know, that's a record or something yes. like that. I mean, I I think you could you could come up with a with a metric around that that yes. that can give you bragging rights. It's, it's so so uh, you mentioned Brave, but Firefox and Safari also have approaches. They're different, right? Which, yeah. Which means that nobody knows what's going on. <laughs> and but you've normalized to Chrome, right? You're 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 your system actually emulates the, the Chrome experience, as it were. Oh, well, yeah, this particular crawler is Chrome because you yeah. know, Chrome itself is about two-thirds market share of browsers. So right. yeah. by far, it's the most common. And headless Chrome is an easy implementation. Yeah. Um, but is it worth it to people? I mean, Brave makes it really clear, you know, that, hey, we block it all, and then, we, and then, then they allow through some things for some reasons, but, and mm-hmm. they... They had some business models around that, but they've, they've sort of done some broken field running on how they do that. But I, I respect it. I think they're cool. The, but Apple's doing something else that involves AI or something, and, and then Firefox has its own approach. Do you pay much attention to those uh, in this? or um, Some of it is like applying nuance to where you actually want a sledgehammer. So in those cases, um, <laughs> I, think, I think the Brave one is fine. But again, I, I do agree with you. They've been misunderstood. So I've heard a lot of publishers dislike them because somebody whispered in their ear saying, well, Brave is blocking all the ads that you normally serve and then serving their own ads on top of that, right? So on the surface, it appears that way. But the new ones, I don't know if, if anyone even cares about this nuance. Um, what Brave is doing is when they're getting the ads, they're actually splitting some of that ad revenue to the publisher and splitting the other part of that ad revenue to the user and rewarding the user. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think that part is lost. So a lot of the publishers will say, oh, well, on the surface, it looks like you're blocking the ads that were supposed to load on my page and then serving your own ads on top of that. So they kind of think of Brave as in the same bucket as those sleazy um, browser toolbars that literally do mm. ad injection, right? They cover up the actual ad on the page and inject their own. So that's very unfortunate uh, that you know, people uh, that work in publishing have this misconception of Brave. Um, but I think that's where the concept of the green browser comes in, right? Where we can green list certain domains. And it's not about... Um, the browser serving ads on top of the ads that would have served. It's actually allowing those good publishers 
who do protect and respect the privacy of their users to monetize normally, which is through their, the ads that would normally serve on their page. So it, it, it's funny that you said that, you know, this is for privacy researchers. And I was thinking, well, I'm just a normal user, but then again, actually I am a privacy researcher because yeah. I'm looking I mean, at this all the time. On this problem, totally right? You've been thinking about this for a long, long time. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> you're, you're a different level doc. Yeah, I mean, we all are, I think level. we're, none of us are just, the average consumer well, when it comes to anything privacy related. But I think that, I mean, the, so part of what's going on here is, I mean, it, I don't know whether who said it first, you or me or Don Marty or somebody that what we're looking at here is kind of a four dimensional shell game. It, it is a shell game. You don't, you don't know what's under what shell and, yep. and what's going on there. And um, is it possible to say, you know, I, I see an ad actually back on the New York Times page. Let me go mm -hmm. back to that one. Um, let's see, that was Smithsonian. And oh, yeah, there was, oh, it's different now. That's interesting. But it, you, actually, you have a little image of an ad um, yep. that got served. Let me see, this one's, oh, that's an actual New Yorker ad on a New Yorker page. So that, I'm looking at New Yorker there. I have, I have too many tabs open. Oh, here it is. It's in the, in the wired one. There's one here. Okay. I'm seeing an ad for Banana Republic. Okay, so and that's next to yep. uh, s zero dot two mdn dot yes. net slash long numeric string. Yeah, um, it took twenty milliseconds for that to happen, and it is a banana republic ad. So, but there you're actually showing. Well, there's the provenance of an ad. If I were to see an ad for Banana Republic, I knew it came from three levels down. Yeah, from this. Uh, m m two m d n dot net by way of Google Google syndication Google yep. syndication then, which had the fingerprint next to it which comes yep. down from secure pub ads dot double g dot double click double click dot net yep yeah so now the the question for me is I, okay I see that ad is that just because well that's just the ad I got shown or is it because they know something about me or they're guessing something. They don't know anything. Oh, I mean, um, in this case, it looks like it's just the ad that was shown because I'm seeing the same Banana Republic. Um, oh, you are. Yes, ad so. on, on my side. So this one doesn't necessarily seem to be targeted individually, but there will be others. Like you know the the creepy ads that follow you around the, the web, right? The I'm retargeting looking, ones. Yeah. Yeah, those are the retargeting ones. I don't think these are, but you know, like when you see a when you look at a bike on Amazon, that specific bike will be shown in an ad next time to, when you go to the next website. So those are uh, typically different vendors and that's how the fingerprints are used. So they mm. either use a third party cookie to say, oh, it's the same person. So because they looked at this, we want to show them the same ad. Um, but third party huh. cookies are going to get limited um, in the upcoming you know, Safari and, and Firefox and that kind of stuff. So they're now huh. turning to fingerprints and that's why we put fingerprints in here because without even setting a cookie by just triangulating say a dozen different parameters in JavaScript, like your screen resolution, your list of plugins and your browser type, they can essentially uniquely identify your device. And that's what we call a fingerprint. So that, this goes to a couple, a couple places. So, so you see them doing that and that's why you put the fingerprint there. Yes. You, yeah. see, so, the, you see the triangulation happening in JavaScript. Yes. And Hotjar, for example, we, we know that particular technology is specifically tracking everything, right? And so they do fingerprinting. So there's a number of those domains that um, there's both the Princeton research from 2017 and the one I think is uh, UC, not Santa Barbara, but 
uh, UC Irvine uh, just published a few months ago where they were specifically looking at fingerprinting. So all those domains we now have listed in here. So whenever we see those domains, we know fingerprint is going on. So I just went to Hotjar. Understand how your users are really experiencing your site yeah. without drowning in numbers. And then they show hot spots on a particular page that people are yeah. clicking on. Um, you know, and, and that's, I mean, to me, that's totally invasive. I mean, that's a, that's a shitty business. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't want that business in the world, you know? It, well, you, you got to look at it from both sides. I mean, the original yeah. concept of it was to help publishers figure out whether they have any users. Right. And that, yeah. And, and how do you, so this, is, this is the question for a question for me. It's like, how do you, I mean, the, I'll, put it, I'll put it this way. The cognitive overhead required to know what's going on is, is impossibly high. Right. And, and to me, that's wrong. I mean, you know, I walk into a store and if I see 50 people with binoculars looking at me, I know what's going on. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. but, and with in, in clipboards and writing stuff down and then handing, handing paper to each other, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, one of them smiles and the other one frowns and they hand it to somebody else because that's what's going on. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, but not knowing this is, is, is just enormous cognitive overhead. And, and, and I see a number of ways that can, this can go. One is at some point when, when somebody uses your tool or one like it, and I hope they use yours because I want you to see, get, see you get the business, mm -hmm. you know, to, to really deeply investigate this to see where did all these, you know, where does this ad come from? What's it doing here? And why, mm -hmm. you know, what does, what does the machinery behind the machinery behind the machinery individually and collectively um, and robotically think about me as a visitor to the website that I'm getting this. And then I get it because it's not just the website experience. It's from place to with retargeting. Yeah. It's from place to place to place. I actually went to a, um, it was a business thing. Like several years ago, I was invited, I was paid to go to this company in Arizona that I don't remember the name of it. Um, but they said they were a $2 billion company and they did all kinds of stuff. They did call center. They did, you know, um, uh, outsourced marketing of all kinds, but but they wanted to explain to me that um, retargeting works when at least pe people see it the seventy fifth time. You yeah. see it the seventy fifth time, and and that's a success. They counted that as a success, and I'm thinking well, maybe the seventy fifth time somebody hits it by mistake. You know, I mean, yeah. it just they aimed wrong. You know, yeah. and, and and they and they saw it on one of those crappy sites that has ads laid on top of ads and pages laid on top of, you know, yeah. you know, um, you know, 25 celebrities who cheated on their spouses. Right. And you'll, yeah. you'll start clicking on that and you click to the right and you get a whole pile of other crap that, and, and links that aren't really links that go to the next thing you want to go to. And you click on one of those. Well, then you're, you know, then they, then they count that as success and somebody got paid. Yeah. Um, did you guys see the social dilemma? The did. Yeah, I, we I talked did. about it a little bit I in know, our last I know episode, some of those, especially Tristan. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think those are still edge cases, which people should be aware of how potentially bad it could go. But I think they're taking certain specific cases and kind of implying that that happens, right? So the point I'm trying to make here is that a lot of ad tech companies are significantly overselling their actual targeting effectiveness, right? And that's because data is crappy. The insights they derive from that data is crappy. And the actual execution of placing the ad to the right person at the right time is also crappy. So all, there's a bunch of right. overselling by the ad tech companies as well. Right? Not, not to minimize the privacy issues and really creepy stuff, but 
I, I think there's still, you know, a long way to go for, but, you know, my whole point earlier was that a lot of this stuff is completely unnecessary, meaning the privacy invasive data collection is completely unnecessary. If the marketers went back to buying direct from good publishers, right? They would pay them right. to show their ads. Those publishers have real human audiences. So then we get back to the original three-legged stool of the internet, right? Which is a balanced uh, internet versus yeah. the fourth-legged stool. And of all publishing, the by the way, even yeah. before the internet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like the fourth leg is where the, the fourth leg itself is actually trying to extract as much value for themselves and no one else, right? So because of that, it's thrown everything out of balance. Um, and then finally, I wanna bring back an analogy you said, Doc, a long, long time ago, which is clothing, right? So in the physical right, world, yeah. we have clothing to signal that we don't wanna show you our privates, right? <laughs> and we Where, call them our privates for a reason. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, whereas in digital, uh, at this point, you know, unless the consumer uses Brave or some actual ad blocking, not ad block plus, um, then, you know, it's hard to signal in digital, but um, that's what's necessary. And I think marketers and publishers can actually help us get to that better future more quickly by realizing that a lot of this ad tech snake oil doesn't work anyway. So they don't have to do all this privacy invasive data collection, like all you, all the stuff that you see in this uh, page x-ray. If they just went back to basic blocking and tackling and doing marketing um, properly, um, they'd probably still get way better outcomes and spend way less money on these ad tech companies. Yeah, it, it, another way of looking at it, and this is just to restate exactly what you're saying, which is that you, you, know, you have ads that sponsor the publication, you know, mm -hmm. that we call them sponsors. And yeah. And there's no cognitive overhead to it. You know, if I see, you know, uh, I mean, I can go to like, if I, it's, it's just like it is in a, in a newspaper. I open the New York times yep. and I see an ad for, um, you know, ladies shoes. I know it's not, it doesn't matter. I, I, I it, it, it's there and it doesn't, you know, if, if it's a brand, you know, let's say it's Gucci. I don't even know if Gucci makes shoes, I'm guessing, but anyway, but that helps their brand. Right. You know, it's, it's not, um, you know, there, there are real economic benefits to sponsorship. It's an, I'm guessing, I've, I've never seen the numbers on this, but probably way over a trillion dollars, maybe two trillion has been spent on this kind of advertising so far. And not one brand known to the world has been made by it. If you want to make a brand, you're, you got to spend money on, on, on getting people to know you, you know, and uh, yeah, that's what uh, Bob Hoffman has been talking about. Yeah, and Bob Hoffman's perfect. You know, his yeah. ad contrarian is uh, is his um, uh, his his yeah. handle on 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 um, on Twitter, and, and his and his and he's got a, a series of books. He's also, I think, one of the best copywriters who ever walked the earth, and yeah. and really clever, really good, enviably good as a writer and as a a speaker. And but it's it's really simple. I mean, you know, I. I watch a fair amount of sports. And so I know 15 minutes will save me 15% with Geico. Yeah. I can't, I can't help knowing that. Yeah. I, I, we don't have, we don't use really it. well. Yeah. Yeah. It works well. I know what Ford tough means. I know, I know I'm in good hands with Allstate. Uh, yeah. This is, and, and those companies have grown. I mean, um, Geico and progressive were also ran uh, insurance companies mm -hmm. until they really doubled, quippled, quadrupled down on 
on TV advertising. It's the stuff works. I mean, it's, it's, it, we don't like it in some ways, but all we've done is lost 30 seconds or the effort it took to skip past the ad. Right. You know, Uh, I I think it's also, I describe it as the pendulum swinging too far one way. Right. So a lot of the marketers in their effort to chase the shiny object called digital over the last 10, 15 years, they've allocated too much, uh, too many dollars to digital but really the difference uh, between branding in traditional channels like on TV and branding in digital is that at least in TV, uh, there's a finite audience, right? There's a real human audience sitting in front of the TV. Yes, of course, some of them go up and use a ba- get up and use a bathroom or go get some of the drink yeah, while yeah, the commercials the beer, come on, whatever. There's yeah. still some audience that's there, right? And you can also think about uh, offline billboards, right? People still drive down the highway and they can see, still see the billboard right next to the highway. Right? So right. branding still occurs. The problem with digital is that when you're doing branding, right, by, by buying billions and billions of display ads, what you're not taking into account is the portion that's not shown to humans, right? And that's due to the- Yeah, you've issue, done an awesome right? job with that. And, yeah, and bots I mean, and stuff like that. Wait, wait, I mean, if, let's, just, let's say there's a pie chart. You probably already have one anyway. All the ads served doesn't matter to, doesn't even have to be to a human. What percentage of all the ads that get, paid for okay so they pay somebody yeah. gets paid for that 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 are in the world what percentage actually gets seen by human eyeballs oh that's too hard of a question doc you can't ask that question <laughs> um because if i gave an answer no no actually to, to be to be serious you saw my article saying that um you know if we just take lop off 50 percent and then lop off another 50 percent of that 50 percent just do that four times we're down to 90, 94% lost, right? We're down to 6% yeah, after yeah. four halving, halving, right? So that's, that wasn't even taken into account fraud. Um, so when you talk about it, let me give you another ratio to just think about. So how many domains do you think there are registered? Oh, oh it's, it's got to be many, many billions. Can't count that high. <laughs> um, it's actually 1.5 billion domains registered. Really? Okay. How many higher? websites do you think there exist? A tenth of that? Um, um, it's actually I, 300 million. I was going to okay, okay. So you it's know, a third of that. Or, yeah. A How bit. many of those websites do you think uh, humans actually visit? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Right. So, so just say, just <laughs> say the top million, yeah. right? Let's just yeah. say the top million, right? Be very, yeah. very generous and take the Alexa top million or something. So mm-hmm. the ratio is 1 million that humans visit to 300 million. It's, it's about 350 or something, but just take a round number, 300 million other domains that there's not enough humans to go visit constantly to generate billions of impressions. Right. Oh, and that get, reminds you get robots to do this. Job, yeah. Right? <laughs> you can certainly get, get robots to do that. Right. Because again, yeah. like we said earlier uh, in this podcast, there aren't enough humans on earth, first of all, and there aren't a whole bunch of humans sitting around with nothing to do, but to go to your specific website when you tell them to, right? Humans just don't behave, behave that way. So yeah. if the ratio of domains that humans go to is one over 300. Okay. Um, how many of those ad impressions could possibly be seen uh, by humans, right? And the other thing is consider this number. So I, I just did a back of the envelope recently, given uh, someone else gave me an input point. Um, it works out to be about, to be about half a quadrillion ads served <laughs> per year. 
Okay. And there's only 7 billion humans on earth and that's counting, you know, old people and babies that (laughs) don't get on the internet. Right. Yeah. And people that are on the internet. So, you know, the math just doesn't work out, but because of programmatic and because of bot activity, right. Bots are truly scalable. They can be made from headless Chrome browsers like ours. Right. And they just be told to repeatedly load web pages way easier than trying to get a human to go to your site. Right. If you're a site owner, you would know how hard it is to get enough humans to your site. Right. So in that case, because of programmatic, it's basically enabled fraudsters to scale their volumes. So the vast majority of the impressions that you see, we have no evidence that is being shown to humans. And from my data, you know, the very best managed campaigns, I can basically say roughly one percent. I could confirm as humans seeing your ad. Wow. That's a, that, that may be a good summary place to, to stop. I, one of the things I've, um, I mean, if, if, I mean, it, 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 there's an interesting question, which is um, how long will we be digital in the world? I mean, how long will we have digital technology? I think for the rest of time, probably as long as mm-hmm. we're operating, you know, we, but how long have we been digital? Like a couple, de- a couple decades, <laughs> yeah. you know, if That's that, it. and if, I mean, in the current, current form, maybe yeah. a decade or less even, um, you know, and, and Don Marty talks about how if you invest, if you try to investigate all of this is kind of like painting the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm. At the time you get to one end, the other end has already changed, you know, and <laughs> yeah. paint it over again. So, um, but but, but I think, I mean, you've been, do, you've been doing this long enough that you see all the consistencies that are in it. But I, I think we'll look back on this in 10 years or whenever, you know, and say, you know, do you remember when that was going on? Because it won't be going on anymore. It'll be something else. I mean, there'll be some other, some other crazy thing that's happening. Um, yeah. But this is, this is just an awesome way of looking at what's going on now. And I, I think most of our listeners are not ordinary consumers. So, no. so I think they would enjoy looking at this. Yeah, that's great. I think it's just out of curiosity, just visit some of your favorite sites and see, you know, if there are ones that have a ton of trackers that you didn't expect or ones that are actually behaving well and protecting your privacy. I think that's the key takeaway. Yeah. I, I'm not sure I trust too many of them to do that, but that's, I'm just suspicious. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's funny when, when I mentioned earlier, I don't think that any of us are your average consumer when it comes to privacy. I, I meant everyone listening as well. Yeah. I don't think, I think if you're listening to us in the first yeah. place, I think that you have a yeah. heightened interest there. Yeah. We have a high wizard to muggle ratio. <laughs> yes, right. absolutely. I'm pretty sure of that. That's very cool. <laughs> yes. So thank you so much for joining us. This has been really great. Um, I've you, actually Kathy. learned thank a lot in the last hour. Great. Um, yeah, thanks. And on that note, thank you everyone for listening. If you have any feedback for us, uh, you can email us at info at reality2cast.com. We'd love to see an email from anybody. Um, And thanks again. Thank you.